Hello, you're listening to All About Eater on the World Radio Paris. I'm your host, Crudy, and I'll be discovering what the Eater Project and Fusion Energy are all about. Eater is one of the most ambitious energy projects ever attempted. It is here in the south of France that a coalition of 35 nations is collaborating to build the largest and most powerful device to prove the scientific and technological feasibility of fusion power. Come and join me in this audio journey. Bonjour again. Today I am with a special guest on the show, a physicist, politically savvy negotiator, caring manager, and fascinating speaker who has been a supporter of fusion since his university days and with ITER since its birth. We will be speaking with Akko Mas about the history of ITER, how it was conceived, how it is developing today, and what his hopes are for the organization. Welcome, Akko, to the show. Can you please tell our listeners more about yourself and how were you involved with ITER in its early days? My name is Akko Maas. I am a Dutch national in origin, but I have not lived in the Netherlands for more than half my life now. I've worked in fusion all my professional career. Uh, I came from university and then started doing my PhD in fusion. As part of that PhD, I was uh, sent to the biggest machine in the world that we have in those days. It was JET in the United Kingdom. I spent about 10 years there managed to obtain a wife there as well <laughs> uh, and two children in the process uh, at the end of 1999 I was given the possibility to come to France to work on Tor Supra which is the tokamak next door of CEA and after I'd been there for one year so middle of 2000 roughly uh, the idea came up to have a host eater here in Calarache and I went to the director and said can I do something to help and he said uh, yes you can be part of the team that is a bit like for the Olympic Games there's a a bid book that needs to be made uh, to provide uh, technical information that yes we can fulfill all the requirements etc etc so I became part of the negotiation team uh, on the whole thing uh, and then once the decision was finally made to host ITER indeed he's here uh, in 2006 I was asked by the European Commission if I wanted to start out the team here in Cadarache Oh, so I was the first person from ITER here on site. Uh, well, it was not here on site. It was next door at CEA where we had offices. But okay, uh, I always say I was the first person on site. And since then, I have had about 20 different jobs inside the organization. I've done all kinds of things. It started by hiring a secretary, ordering fax machines, ordering computers. Uh, but then I became in charge of the project control office for a little bit. I was part of the central integration team. Uh, I was for a long time part of the office of the director general, dealing with all kinds of things. Uh, again, mostly politics. Uh, international negotiations related and I'm now responsible for knowledge management so how do we keep the knowledge that we get in the organization that is in people's heads 
How do we make sure that that stays when people leave? Because people retire, people get ill, people go to different jobs, uh, things like that. So how do we make sure we do that? And as part of that job, I also have a great interest in the history of ITER. Um, ITER has been going a bit longer than myself already. <laughs> uh, the idea of ITER started in the mid-80s when Europe had decide, decide, had built jet in the United Kingdom and had decided that they should start designing the next step machine which was called NET the next European Taurus which had a design team uh, stations in Garching near Munich in 1985 there was a international uh, summit between Gorbachev and Reagan in uh, Geneva followed by another one in Helsinki but it was at the one at Geneva where Gorbachev had said that he wanted to do something more in science to try to open the Iron Curtain try to work together and there was a very astute man, uh, Yevgeny Evernikov, who worked for the Russian or the Soviet Union uh, uh, science people, had a very good relation with Gorbachev, and he mentioned fusion. And from that, there was in the press release one little sentence at the end saying, the two parties commit themselves to work together in fusion. Something along those lines. Wow. Uh, and from that, two years later, the name ITER was used for the first time, 1987, and a team was set up to work on the design for ITER, in first instance uh, between Japan, then still the Soviet Union, the United States, and Europe. Uh, those four teams worked together, but everybody stayed at home. So they worked for two years together to get a conceptual design, as we call it. Uh, that was accepted by the different uh, governing instances. Uh, and then in 1992, they started with the engineering design. So basically the design of the machine that we are building now. Uh, that went on until 2001, roughly. And then the negotiation started as to, okay, we have a design now. Where are we going to build with this thing now? And how are we going to build it? Because there's all kind of different structures you can have. And that's where I came into the whole process and was part of the negotiation team as to how we do it, do it, uh, where do we do it. Uh, of course, I was in favor of doing it in Cadarache because I was lifty already. But... Uh, the teams, there were four possible sites that were proposed, and what all four teams agreed is that it's more important that it is built than where it's built. Uh, yeah, so in the end, it was Kadorash, but if it would have been somewhere else, then I probably would have had to move. Uh, but uh, fortunately for my wife, we didn't move because I might have had divorce. Uh, on my hands <laughs> so you really had a lot to do with it being in Kadorash. I was certainly strongly involved, yes. Yeah. Uh, so why Kadorash? though so what were the what was the strong points that were brought about uh, I, I do not really know why the decision was taken in the end of how it was taken in the end from a technical point of view of course all four sides that were proposed were technically 
reliable, achievable. Uh, yeah, because it's politics, so you cannot say that 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 doesn't work. Uh, yeah, things do work. Uh, yeah, you always are polite to each other. Um, so it is. It was a political process uh, that was uh, led at a very high level uh, in France. President Chirac was involved himself personally. He went to Japan a few times and discussed with the Japanese Prime Minister. And in the end, it ended up here. Uh, uh, the final negotiations were between Europe and Japan, where, as I said, the French president played a big role, but also uh, the uh, presidency of the European Council, which was the Netherlands at that moment. And there was, uh, for science, uh, the Dutch Minister for Economic Affairs was involved, Maria van der Hoeven, and she played a role in it as well. And I've talked with her several times afterwards still as well. Uh, so it's, it, uh, it was my little foray in politics in those days. Uh, <laughs> a big foray. <laughs> it was a big foray. In the end, yes, when yeah. I look back, you can see behind you, uh, this is a photo that's also on on the uh, ah, dresser yes. at, uh, at my mom's. Uh, oh, but look at that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the article I'm holding. Uh, it's what it's, I uh, printed for my it, reference. It's a kind of uh, photo by accident uh, in that uh, when the decision was taken to have the site here, that was done on the 28th of June, 2005, uh, we were in a kind of celebra celebratory mo mode, found one or two bottles of champagne that we opened. <laughs> and then half an hour later, we got a telephone call from the Elysee Palace saying, President Chirac would like to come down to celebrate with all CEA staff the fact that Kadrash is the host for ETA now. That was uh, nice of him. It was very nice. <laughs> we had uh, less than, well, about 36 hours warning before he would come. And he wanted a party for all 4,000 people that were there. Um, so I've never ordered so many bottles of champagne in my life. Uh, it was 2,000 bottles of champagne <laughs> I ordered, uh, for instance. Uh, wow. yeah, we ho uh, Because it was beginning of July, similar kind of weather as now, kind of hot. So we had uh, portable air conditioning uh, put in place. We built up big tents, organized buses for old people come from the different institutes within CEA to the central place. All these kind of things uh, all done within a day. Within, within, basically within the day, yes. Uh, so, incredible. Yes. But it's part of the fun. That's Those are the good <laughs> memories uh, of the whole thing. Uh, wow, wonderful. Coming back, coming back to the point that you made when Gorbachev in the 1980s so Russia and America, I guess, are the ones that agreed to actually make fusion possible. But what led to that moment? Uh, well, because that's quite big, too. Yeah, as I said, uh, the um, uh, Secretary General of the Soviet Union, uh, Mr. Gorbachev, uh, had in mind, in order to make Glasnost and Perestroika more palatable, he needed to reach out to the Western world. Uh, and he had several conversations because in the run-up to that summit he met several people. He met Margaret Thatcher, but also François Mitterrand. And uh, they had all agreed that yes, it would be a, a good idea to do something in science together. To propose that to Ronald Reagan who uh, would most likely go along with that because it would not be too big a commitment from an American point of view because in America defense is the most important stuff. Uh, science is a small department uh, in the end. Uh, yeah. So uh, reach out, do something about science and I 
history says, but I have never verified because I've never met François Mitterrand myself, but the history says that Mitterrand mentioned fusion as a possibility. Yeah, so. The one thing that I do know is that when Gorbachev was back in Moscow and had his team of uh, counselors around him, one of them was the guy I mentioned early, earlier, Yevgeny Velikov, uh, and uh, when he was asked, he mentioned fusion, and he then got in contact with a guy from the Department of Energy in the United States, uh, a guy called Michael Roberts, who became a good friend of mine, uh, and they had met before in several international discussion groups on how... We, yeah, the advantage in fusion is that we have always worked together. Uh, yeah, It's never been split by the Iron Curtain. We have always worked together together. Uh, already in the 60s uh, so uh, but anyway Michael Roberts and Yevgeny Velikov knew each other and said it would be great if we could get something into the summit about fusion and uh, again history says that Reagan thought he had signed up to build the thing already uh, to build it or uh, yeah again I can't verify if that's true or not, but thanks to these two gentlemen and the right action at the right mind at the right moment, it ended up as something in the press release, and it escalated from there. Uh, and I think even from my end, I've heard—I don't know if it's true—but I've also heard that this has also been a good way, uh, which was a lead up after the Cold War. That's why it was possible, and was it a way of peace? How, so how did that well, actually? Well, it certainly it certainly helps. Uh, there is another advantage in that if we can make fusion work. Well, fusion works. We can see it in the sun every day. Yeah, yeah, it works in all the stars. It works <laughs> on Earth as well. Yeah, it has worked yet. However, we don't get as much energy out of the plasma as we put into the plasma. Yet. Unfortunately, not yet. Yeah. At ITER, we're supposed to demonstrate that. So let's assume that works. Let's assume that it becomes a viable option for energy production in the world. Uh, the resources that we need in general are uh, water and lithium. Water is plenty available in the seas, and lithium uh, is still plenty available because all your batteries, uh, PCs and things like that, all use lithium, and there is no uh, shortage of lithium as such. Uh, so, And on top of that, these resources are reasonably well spread around the earth. There's no one place where you say, like for instance, the Middle East, that's where the oil is. Uh, you don't have that. So... If fusion works and if it becomes economically viable as well, uh, then you take away a big uh, reason for where most of the wars are about. Wars are about either money or energy. Uh, yeah, And if we can take those reasons away for war, then maybe, hopefully, we can work on solving hunger problems, water problems in certain parts of the world. So, yeah, we can uh, be a bit more equitable in how we spread the the richness of the world, because after all, the world is a rich place, but not everybody profits from it. Uh, and that's that's so. If fusion can make a contribution of for that, then yes, that is the ultimate. Uh, manifestation of the fact that yes we do this for peace uh, of course uh, following the uh, summit between Gorbachev and Reagan 
to come back to your original question, <laughs> uh, yes, there were clearly was an intention to work together, to uh, use one project where we would say the both sides that yes, this would be very beneficial, this would be good. It is not a project that one individual country would most likely want to step in forward, even if they would have the money available, uh, because as I said. In the United States, the budgets that we are using are on page uh, 700, I think, of the water and energy bill uh, in the US. So being on page 700 means that you are not that high in budget requests. Uh, yeah. So nevertheless, um, we do it together. Uh, and uh, because we have always done it together, Fusion has always worked together since the military saw in the end of the, uh, of the 50s that there are no real military applications of magnetic fusion. Uh, everything has been opened. We've always worked together. So ITER is a manifestation of us continuing that, but then really in a global project where uh, we are trying to do something for the benefit of mankind in the end. Uh, so. Oh, that's wonderful. It's a I bit think of a political can... speech, but uh, yes. <laughs> you can cut that out. <laughs> um, well, now that we're here, we're in ITER, and now we see in 2021 how big it's gotten and all the different types of people that are here. Can you kind of tell us a little bit your path? Because you've been here since the beginning. How it has grown in terms of just the type of people or infrastructure, whatever comes to your mind? Uh, well, as I as I said to you before, I started here when there was nobody. Uh, I had to hire the first secretary. Amazing. Uh, I had to order computers. I had to order pencils even. Uh, yeah. uh, you used uh, pencils before? Yeah, we still okay. had pencils in those <laughs> days as well. Uh, I still still have one here. So yeah. oh. it's, it's slightly modern, but... Uh, um, so um, the, the team certainly has grown. Uh, when we started out, the most important was to uh, adapt the general design that we had because the team before that had made a design that could be implemented anywhere in the world because they didn't know where we had to be. So we then spent time adapting that general generic design to the ether site because you need to know what the underground is how strong it is uh, where you can put certain things uh, you need to make certain adaptations uh, there are certain regulations you have to follow in france so all those things had to be done so that those were mostly design engineers uh, once and that effort for certain components is still ongoing because you start with the buildings and then the machine and then uh, bits around the machine etc etc um, once uh, we had sufficient that we could start the buildings you see the civil engineers coming in uh, you see the big construction companies coming in uh, yeah uh, the main buildings are now done uh, so there are a bit less civil engineers there's still plenty around because we still have to do a number of buildings things um, uh, but we now also have the people in-house that need to put the machine together because the machine is built in individual components all around the world and that all needs to be put together as a big jigsaw puzzle basically or three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle <laughs> uh, so you have specialists for that we have specialists who know how to transport 
things from one from the factory to here to the site because uh, we have uh, parts of the vacuum vessel for instance there are nine parts which are fabricated in both Korea and in Europe and they need to come from the harbor here to the site uh, those individual bits weigh 400 tons so it's wow. not something that you put just on the back of your bicycle and come up to the site. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, on top of that, they are nine meters wide, uh, nine meters high, uh, and 15 meters long. Uh, so it's also not something that you just ask a standard lorry to transport. Yeah, you have to have specialist companies for that. Uh, yeah, so we're working with those companies because it's not necessary to have that expertise with really in-house, but you need to have somebody who knows how to work with these people True. and how to give the specifications so that's all developing uh, because the team is now bigger we have also um, uh, postdocs who are coming uh, we have interns we have people who are here just for a few weeks just to see what uh, what we're doing uh, yeah so um, when we started out uh, I knew everybody. Uh, yeah, we are now at uh, a stage where we are as staff members over a thousand. So, although everybody seems to know me, I don't know everybody anymore. Uh, yeah, <laughs> although I give uh, training to everybody about one specific topic, uh, uh, so everybody has to come past me at some point. Uh, but uh, we had a thousand people, and in total, we have trained more than fifteen hundred people because you have the natural changes in people and things like that. Um, people know me but I don't know everybody necessarily and that sometimes is a bit more difficult because uh, when you have a small team uh, you know exactly who to go to to say arrange that for for, for me uh, we have uh, more procedures in place now so if you want to have something done you have to go into a piece of software type it in and then the system will decide yeah he or she can do it uh, so it's all a bit more cumbersome than with mm -hmm. a small team but it's a different way of working so you need to get used to that as well and that's being adaptable uh, in the whole thing. Uh, yeah, so. it's it's evolved um, from before to now yeah. and we can see that while it's still working, it's great because you need all these people to make it happen. Yes, absolutely. Oh, wonderful. Um, and now going from history, I guess, to the future, what is it that you hope for for ITER, I guess? Well, I hope that uh, we will get all the components here on site, that there are no... Uh, major disasters uh, <laughs> because uh, you never know. Uh, many of the components come from overseas and putting things on a ship is always uh, with a certain risk. Uh, yeah, let's hope it doesn't happen. But if one of the boats sinks uh, with, for instance, one of the nine vacuum vessel components on there, uh, then we have a big problem that would delay us several years. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so... I hope that in the next few years we can indeed get the machine together. I hope that I will still be around uh, when we do the first plasma and when we do the first real experiments because uh, having been here for more than 20 years, oh, I'm yes. getting older myself uh, and at a certain point <laughs> retirement will come. Uh, yeah, But at least I hope that I can see those major steps still that 
something that I've worked for basically my whole career yeah. then really comes to fruition. Yeah. It's uh, your baby, uh, <laughs> in a way. Uh, to a certain extent, <laughs> yes. Uh, my wife always says, you have three babies, the two children that we had, and my work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yes, having brought, taken the project from an idea that somebody had as to why don't we do it here in Cadarache to then having the decision and then really see it happen i now want to see the next step as well saying okay it now has to work yeah, uh, yeah. and if i can be in the control room when we do the first attempt uh, or the first successful attempt then i'll be very happy about that uh, well, definitely but, uh, to come full circle yes because when I left the uh, jet machine uh, in uh, in the United Kingdom, uh, I was one of the persons who made the machine work, so did the experiment. Uh, and when I left, I said, okay, my aim is that one day I will sit behind the controls of ITER and make it work. Uh, so if I don't need to really need to be behind the controls because there might be younger people who will be better <laughs> at doing that, uh, yeah. But just being there would be uh, would be good, uh, yeah. Because I, think, uh, yeah. I have gone too much into the administrative side of the house. I'm I'm a physicist in origin, but the amount of time I do real physics is very little nowadays. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully, as you said, we will come full circle. Right when the first plasma hits in 2025, is that uh, right? It is supposed to be 2025. Yeah. It, that is the plan. Yeah. Uh, let's see how, how well we do and what will happen. Uh, yeah. at, um, well, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, and to help us learn, to give us more insight about how it started. You're welcome. Hello, everybody. So that was our one-to-one -one conversation with Akomas, one of the first physicists who has always believed in fusion and worked with ITER since its approved design back in 2001. We hope that you gained deeper insights into the making of this historical project that is taking shape in our lifetime and the complexities that ITER deals with in terms of scientific problem solving and involvement of different countries and nationalities. It is no short feat, but one that really we are all rooting for. For our next episode, we will be learning further about how this monumental puzzle is fitted together on a day-to-day -day basis. See you then. Bye.